Chapter 4 of Eicha, the lamentation of Chapter 4, Eicha Yuam Zahav, Yishneh HaKetem HaTov. How has the gold become dim? How has the fine gold changed? And the theme of Chapter 4, the primary theme of Chapter 4, has to do with the effects of suffering upon those who suffer. In that tradition, suffering, and the Torah speaks of this in the book of Breshit in Genesis, as part of the covenantal formula, God makes a covenant with Avraham about his descendants, about possession of the sacred space. And when Avraham says, what must happen in order to secure the sacred space? Genesis chapter 15, and God's response is, know very well, your descendants will be strangers. In a land not theirs, Vavadum, they will be enslaved. Vinuotam, they will be oppressed for 400 years. The idea of the covenantal formula of being a stranger, a ger, enslaved and oppressed, presumably has to do with the idea that those who are oppressed, and for example, that covenantal formula is one we encounter in the beginning of the book of Exodus, in the story of the going down into Egypt and the experience of being enslaved in Egypt. And we know the Torah says, more than once, and in the code of chapters 21, 22, 23, 24, in Mishpatim, the Torah says on two different occasions in that code, Do not oppress the stranger. Or, Do not oppress the stranger. You were strangers in the land of Egypt. Do not oppress the stranger, because you know what it feels like to be oppressed. You were strangers. Two different statements in the code. You know what it feels like. You should know better. And you had the same experience. You're no better than they are. You're also a stranger. And the idea, of course, is to learn from that experience. So, the assumption of the Torah in those texts, and a very central text it is, the covenantal text is, that perhaps the purpose, the idea behind going down into Egypt and becoming enslaved, is not to do that to other people. That's the idea behind it. You know what it's like, and therefore, don't oppress the other. Don't inflict on the other that which you yourself suffered. That's the concept, the beautiful concept the idea of the covenantal formula. But it doesn't always work that way. For example, we know that the covenantal formula of Gerut and Abdet and Inui in chapter 15 of Genesis is essentially a recasting of the experience that Abraham and especially Sarah suffer when they go down to Egypt. They go down as strangers, and then Sarah is taken by Pharaoh against her will, and who knows what happens there. She's with him probably a quite amount of time, a fair amount of time. Is probably sexually molested. Is Inui. So the experience, even though the text doesn't use those words in chapter 12 of Genesis, but it's recasted in chapter 15 as Gerut, Avdut, and Inui. And yet, we know that in chapter 16, in the story of Hagar, where Hagar, after she becomes pregnant, Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham, in order to have a child, perhaps the situation of a surrogate mother, the child will be Sarah's, but once Hagar became pregnant, 
her mistress was light in her eyes. She doesn't respect her. And Sarah gets very angry at Hagar, and especially at her husband, Avraham. And Avram says, do what you want. And Sarah oppressed her, Inui, one of the covenantal terms. So it doesn't always happen that those that suffer don't inflict the suffering upon others. Sometimes it's exactly the opposite, that those who suffer become so angry, or so despairing, vengeful, that they do inflict the very same suffering on the other. That's one of the effects that can take place when one suffers. And that's what's described, among other things, in chapter 4. What's described in chapter 4 is that through the suffering, good people do things they would not ordinarily ever do. For example, verse number 3, Even the jackals nurse their children, give suck to the young ones. But the daughter of my people has become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. Batami, in the, of course, in the book of Echa, Israel is the daughter of Zion. Batami. And they be, they're cruel. Or later on in the chapter, in verse number 10, Yidei Noshim Rachmaniyot Bishru Yaldehen. The hands of Noshim Rachmaniyot, compassionate women, cook their children, boil their own children, not just women, but compassionate women. So the suffering, the terrible suffering, often puts people in situations they don't know how to deal with it under great stress. We're not judging because we don't stand in their place. But these are the kind of things that can happen. And that's the theme, essentially, of chapter 4, one of the primary themes of chapter 4, which begins with, how was the gold become dim? In verse number two, the precious sons of Zion. Here there's Benetzion, unusual. Comparable to fine gold. How are they now esteemed as earthen pitchers? The work of the potter. So, Things take place, things happen, and the effect of that on the victim, the victim becomes dehumanized in a certain sense. That's one of the tragic outcomes, often, of terrible suffering. Dehumanization can come, and does come, for example, in the book of Shmuel, it can come from power. You can forget about humanity when you are searching desiring power. And you do many things to achieve power, and you do many things when you have power, which are very dehumanizing to the people you deal with and to yourself. But this chapter is from the other side. The victim becomes dehumanized. And in verse number 7 of chapter 4, The sin of my people is greater than Sodom. Which was overturned suddenly. And the, perhaps, the intimation over here is that these kinds of things, these effects, sometimes they take place over an extended period of time. 
And sometimes it happens very quickly. Sometimes you don't notice it until suddenly the world has changed. That's chapter 4. And this idea that things have changed so radically is picked up in verse number 12 of chapter 4. That no one believed this could happen. This is a theme, of course, that we encounter in the prophetic writings. Yirmiyahu talks about this. Don't think it can't happen, says Yirmiyahu. Don't think the temple can't be destroyed. A temple was destroyed. The temple was at Shiloh for many years. And Shiloh was destroyed. Nobody believed it could happen. It could happen. But over here the sense is, how could this be? How could the world be so different? But the world can be so different, and it can happen very quickly, without actually taking notice. This is the theme of chapter 4, and it's interesting that in verse number 20 of chapter 4, Ruach apeinu Mashiach Hashem nukad bishchitotam. Asher amarnu bagoyim. This verse, and I'll translate it, the breath of our nostrils, the anointed of God, was taken in their pits, of whom we had said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Now that verse, which describes a, a person who was seen to be a, a great leader, a savior, has been caught, has been entrapped, was taken in their pits, taken along with those who are committed the, the, the sins, we had thought we could live in his shadow, in his protection amongst the nations. And it's traditionally in our, in our tradition connected to King Yoshiahu. King Yoshiahu was a righteous king, described at length at the Book of Kings and also in the Book of Chronicles. Righteous king made a great religious reformation, but it was too late to prevent the destruction, and he himself was killed by the Egyptians. And this verse is typically uh, thought of, or traditionally thought of, and this is found in the elegies as well, as referring to Yoshiao. In fact, the entire chapter 4 in one tradition is a reference to King Yoshiao, that a good person sometimes cannot prevent what's happening because we become part of something that's much bigger than ourselves. That's part of the tragedy. And what's interesting is that in the book of Chronicles, it says that when Yoshiel died, the righteous Yoshiahu, that Jeremiah the prophet wrote an elegy for Yoshiel. And it says in Chronicles, he taught the people the elegy. Now, we actually don't have that elegy. Eliezer Kalir, in one of his keynotes, writes an elegy that that Jeremiah might have said. Perhaps we will, after we complete this chapter, look at some of the keynote that we're going to say on Tisha B'Av traditionally and reflect upon them. But the idea, of course, of Yoshiahu picks up with the previous chapter. The previous chapter was Anihagever. The previous chapter reminded us that there's suffering on the communal level, but the community consists of individual people. And chapter 4, which is traditionally seen as a kinah that relates to King Yoshiahu is a further reminder 
that in thinking about national calamities, we should never forget about the individual people who suffer, each one in their own way. Ruach HaPenu, Mashiach Hashem, Nukad Bishchit Otam, people that are caught up in the time, that can't prevent the forces that are about them. And of course, in the case of Yoshio, we had all kinds of hopes, says the chapter. We had thought, perhaps under his guidance, we will find protection. But that was not the case.